Greg, another reason for me to not be able to wait until you can take over, because <laughs> I have no idea what just happened. It was working earlier today. And it's not the battery issue either, because it says the batteries are working. Um, a, a lot of you probably know I was in a wreck again, because, you know, it's not that I'm a bad driver, I promise. I just, <laughs> I have the worst luck, I guess. I don't know, because it just happens over and over again. Um, but it's been, a, it's been a weird week after that, because you're left, it was a pretty rough, rough accident. And after something like that, you're kind of just left wondering, you know, why? Why did it happen? Why did everything go okay? What, what am I supposed to do now? And um, you know, I, I wrote the message this week, and I didn't really think about the impact that it had until now that I'm thinking about it. And I realize those sorts of questions are questions that come out of the, a desire to take action ourselves, out of a desire to use what happens to our advantage. And, I, and I'm thinking, you know, what do I need to do with this now? What, why, why is this happening to me? What, what do I need to learn from this? And in reality, I think the, the better statement is for us to sit down in situations like this and say, God, I did absolutely nothing to get myself out of this. I did absolutely nothing to survive this. I did absolutely nothing to be okay in this. But through you, through your strength, something amazing took place. And out of what happened there, I'm starting to realize the power behind what Jesus taught in the text that we're going to be looking at today, what he taught right before he went to the cross. And so that's what we're going to be. We're going to be looking at Jesus teaching again on humility. And this is in, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 22. And, you know, we, we've spent a lot of time going over these teachings of Jesus on humility, and we're going to continue that this morning. Before, I, before we do, I'm going to open us up with a word of prayer uh, first. So let's, let's open with a word of prayer. Father God, thank you for the love that you have for us. And it, out of that love, there are so many incredible things that you do for us. You have paid the price for our redemption. You have offered us eternity. You work through us in amazing ways. And yet sometimes we just simply think that we're doing everything on our own. We sit still and, and we try to gain everything we can in this life. Because that's what the world tells us to do. But Lord, as we study your word this morning, as it comes alive before us, I pray that we're intent on seeing how you work within us. How our insignificance, how our fallibility, how our just nature of being helpless actually makes us greater because that's when you work through us all the more. God, work through this message this morning. Work through me. Give me the words to speak and let your voice be heard. We love you and it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. I, I want to start in opening this and asking the question, if any of you have ever been to a point in your life where you kind of felt like there was a hollow pit within you. Like, like there's just this void that you try to fill it and you try to put stuff in it. You try to, you try to have, 
there's something that you set your eyes on, you're like, I'm going to work as hard as I can until I can get that one thing, or I'm going to work as hard as I can until I achieve this one thing, and when I get that, then I'll be satisfied. And then you finally get that thing, and you're, you, you walk down the street the next day, and you're like, well, I, now I want something else. What do I do now? Where, where, what do I get, where do I go from here? And, and you think it's going to be filled, but it's not ever filled. And, and I think about that in terms of things that I've done in my life, whether it's making a sports team, whether it's uh, getting an achievement, whether it's um, purchasing a, a house or something, and, and you, you put so, this, so much time and energy and focus onto getting this one thing, and then you get it, and you sit there, and you're like, well, now what? You know, what, what do I fill this with? What do I fill this void with? You know, I, I've placed so much time and energy and focus on getting this desire, and there, that emptiness is still there. I remember when I was in high school, I was in 10th grade or 9th grade, somewhere in there, and I, I had put a ton of time and energy and focus. Every spare ounce of it was focused on becoming this great basketball player. And, and I've told people before that I, I didn't just want to be a professional athlete. I, like, vividly thought that it was going to happen. Uh, and I, I, like, had plans for what I was going to do when I became a professional athlete. I had all these, like, dreams that I wanted to accomplish. And every ounce of my spare time was spent working on that. I would go to the gym. Uh, I, I would put in the time and energy on the court, on the, on the field. I would do whatever it took to, to get better. I would study film, and, and I didn't just do it during the season, but I did it during the summer and during the off-season as well. And I remember this one particular summer, I had spent so much time working on, on basketball, and we had this conference, the CIY conference, the one that the high schoolers are going to this summer, and I, you know, I almost didn't go because I didn't really want to sacrifice the time that I was going to spend getting better at sports, for this one week of, of conference, and I decided to go last minute, <clears throat> and it was on a college campus, and and they give you free time throughout the day, um, in between all their sessions and all between in between their their lessons and classes and stuff. And every ounce of free time I had was spent with the basketball in my hands, trying to play people one on one at a Christian camp where you know the competition was scarce. So it just made me feel better about myself, even though I was playing like guys that never picked up a basketball in their life, and I, I would spend all this time in trying to make myself better at this camp where I was supposed to be getting closer to God, and it just goes to show how much my desire for this one thing had proven to pull me away from the only thing that could fill that hole within me, and I had this one youth leader come up to me, and I'll, I'll never forget what she said because of how appalling it was to me at the time. She, she knew that I was spending all my free time there. I wasn't doing anything else. And she told me, she said, Garrett, do you actually think you're going to become the best athlete in the world? Do you actually think you're going to succeed in, in this endeavor that you've started? And I was like, how dare you say such a, a outrageous thing to me? How dare you deny me that I'm actually going to accomplish my dreams and goals and, and everything that I believe in? She said, no, really, there's seven billion people in this world. Do you think you'll be better at basketball than every single one of them? And I never actually stopped and thought about it, that the impossibility of achieving this one thing that I had set every ounce of my energy on was basically impossible, but let alone if I did achieve it, what will I have gained? 
What will I have gained to become this great athlete, the best in the world? Because in a year, after I become the greatest athlete in the world, I'll be outdated and old, and someone else is going to become the best. And I, I started thinking about it after she had that conversation with me. And that conversation, as hard as it was for me to hear that, was the turning point of my realization that there's <clears throat> no point in placing so much emphasis and dedication to something that really is impossible to achieve. And we don't just do that with sports. We don't just do that with um, goals that we have of, of getting into college, of, of getting this dream job. We do that with everything in life. We, we have one little thing that we desire, and we say, when I get this one thing, I'm going to be satisfied, but we never are. We never are, because the desire for something is always constantly reoccurring. There's something else that's going to fill that void. There's something else that we need to achieve. There's something else that we need to do, because that's who we are. Human, humans are creatures that just want to do stuff, that want to accumulate stuff. We, we, we are hoarders of achievements. That's, that's what human beings are. And we see this within Jesus' teaching to his disciples. Because two weeks ago, we saw that Jesus taught his disciples the power of humility. That when they are humble, when they become least, God works through them in mighty and spectacular ways. And that happened. They became humble. They humbled themselves like a child. And then God was healing people. God was, was preaching through them. God was bringing demons out of people. Not because of what they were doing, but because of what he was doing through their humility. And so they learned this lesson already. And then they saw Jesus, like we talked about last week, teach this lesson to Pharisees who thought they were the greatest thing since sliced bread, even though there wasn't sliced bread at that time. It was just in giant loaves. They thought that they were the greatest, and they exalted themselves as the greatest. And Jesus looked them in the eye and said, because you think you're the greatest and you're so focused on your greatness, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples would have heard that, and they would have been, oh, my goodness, they're not entering the kingdom of heaven. We are. We're entering the kingdom of heaven. Man, it must be important to be humble. But now, the night before Jesus is about to do the most humiliating act in history, the disciples are yet again arguing over who's going to be the greatest. They have this reoccurring desire within them to achieve. Listen to what is said here in, in Luke chapter 22. I'm going to go ahead and read verses 24 through 30, and then we're going to kind of pick it apart. But it says, starting in 24, Then a dispute also arose among them about who should be considered the greatest. But he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who have authority over them have themselves been called benefactors. It, it is not to be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever is greatest among you should become like the least, and whoever leads like the one serving. For who is greater, the one at the table or the one serving? Isn't it the one at the table? But I'm among you as the one who serves. You are those who stood by me in my trials. I bestow on you a kingdom, just as my father bestowed one on me, so that you will eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on the thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, the first thing we have to see in this passage is what I just talked about. The disciples have this reoccurring desire. They have this argument that keeps coming up all over the place. Who's going to be the greatest, Jesus? Which one of us is going to be the best? Which one of us is going to essentially, what they're saying, take your place? 
See, at this point, they admitted that Jesus was the Messiah. They admitted that Jesus had this great spirit within them. And some of them even speculated, this is God in flesh. But they still looked at Jesus as their teacher, as this great prophet, as this guy who was going to lead Israel. And they want to know, okay, Jesus, you know, you're not going to live forever. Who's going to take your place when you're gone? Which one of us is going to become the greatest? And it's not that the disciples just had thick skulls. I mean, that's part of it. But it's also that they have human nature within them to say, I got to achieve something. I got to do. I have to work. I have to come out of this to fill this void within my heart of, of success, of accolades. And we might not, you know, you, you might read this and you might say, I have no desire to be the greatest because I don't want to be on TV or I don't want people up in my business. I don't, you know, I have no desire to become the best at anything. So this doesn't apply to me, but it does. Because you could substitute that terminology of which one of us is going to take your place, Jesus? Which one of us is going to be the greatest which, with which one of us is going to acquire the most wealth? Which one of us is going to have the nicest car? Which one of us is, is going to have the best and smartest child? Which one of us is going to go to the best school? Which one of us is, is going to become the best athlete? You know, we could substitute that with anything, and it fits our context of, God, how am I going to rise to the top? How does my association with you benefit my status in this world? Because that's what we focus on what people see. How do I get elevated? How do I rise up? How do I become better? And it reoccurs over and over again. The disciples were with Jesus every single day of their lives, and yet over and over again, who's going to be the greatest? How can this benefit me? How can I become, how can I pull up my station? Remember, these guys were just shepherds and and fishermen, and yet they had risen to the point of being around Jesus, and now they're saying, how can I continue to rise? They have this reoccurring desire within them. And Jesus' response to this reoccurring desire shows us how they're supposed to shift. That they're not supposed to, you know, life places this desire on us. Life tells us, desire things. Fill that void within you. Find something that you want to achieve and go and get it. But Jesus twists that. Listen to what he says in verse 25. He says, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who have authority over them have themselves called benefactors. Now, what, what Jesus is saying is he's drawing the t- two most powerful sects of society. He says, the kings, you know, the people that are rulers, this would, in that time, would have been Caesar, would have been Pilate, it would have been um, the three Herods that ruled Judea, all these different rulers, most powerful people in society. But then he's also talking about the CEOs, the millionaires, the billionaires, the people that run the strings. And you might think, well, so that's been going on since the dawn of time. Yeah, it's been going on since the dawn of civilization. It's ever since there has been money, ever since there has been civilization to lead, the two have gone hand in hand. Okay, and, and, and Jesus is saying, you know, these people around here, the rulers, the rich people, how do they lead? Well, they stand above you. They say, look what I've achieved. Look what I've gained. Look at my station. Look at your station compared to me. I'm greater than you. Listen to me. And the world's okay with that. That's the natural order of things. 
work your way to the top. Accumulate wealth. Accumulate the accomplishment of your desires. That's what we're supposed to do. That's the American dream, right? Jesus is telling his disciples, look at these people. Look at how they behave. Look how focused they are on achievement, on on gaining this power. And then he says, you're not to be like them. He says, it's not to be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever is greatest among you should become like the youngest, and whoever leads like the one serving. For who is greater, the one at the table or the one who is serving? It not it the one at the table? But I'm among you as the one who serves. No, here's, here's the issue with trying to gain, focusing on what we can gain in life. It doesn't matter how noble of a thing it is. If that's our sole focus on gaining that desire, of gaining that power, of gaining that wealth, of, of gaining that object, it takes precedence in every thought that we make. Um, last summer, Isabella and I <laughs> wrecked my first truck, and yes, Sunday I wrecked my second truck. And, and what isn't seen there is before we got that truck, Isabella and I spent about 10 months trying to find one that we could afford. And then after wrecking it, I spent about eight months trying to find another one. And, you know, that's a responsible thing to do. You're, you're looking at the market. You're searching and scouring and, and spending all this time trying to find something that's in your price range. The issue was, I was so focused on finding this thing. You can ask Isabella, it is all I thought about. It is all I talked about. It was the sole focus of my mind. So much so that when I got this new truck (laughs) about three weeks ago, I got it and I got behind the wheel and it was almost as if I didn't care. Because the desire to get it couldn't fill the desire in my soul that was still empty even when I did get it. And yet the world says, work to get it, work to achieve it, work to desire something and finally accomplish it. And yet when we get it, we're still empty. So why does Jesus tell us not to be like the world? Because when the world tells us we should focus on what we desire, Jesus says, when we focus on what we desire, we get nothing out of it. And his kingdom is not accomplished through it. And that's why he says, become like the least, become like the youngest, become the most insignificant, because that's the only way that emptiness inside you is going to be filled. Now, the, the, the message today, if you, saw the ti- if you see the title slide up there, is humble leadership. And so you might think, you know, the kings and the benefactors, they're mentioned there. Other than that, what does this have to do with leadership? And if this does have to do with leadership, well, we're not all leaders. We're not all people that are in charge of of businesses. We're not in charge of school systems. How does this apply to me? As Christians, as followers of Christ, every single one of us is a leader. We're meant to lead our lives so that other people see it and want to follow suit. And we lead by following the one who led us. So every single one of us has this role of leadership, but the question is, how do we accomplish this role? Do we accomplish it as 
by saying, this is what we want to achieve. We're going to focus on that. We're going to get X amount of people here for church on Sunday. We're going to get X amount of baptisms this, this Sunday. We're going to get, raise this amount of money, and then we achieve it, and what are we left with? Oh, well, okay, what do we do next? That's the model, and, and I, I hate to say it, that's the model of the American church. It's, we have to get this many people in church this Sunday. We have to have this much money raised. We have to have this many baptisms in order to achieve what we want to do. And what are we left with? We're left with putting God in a box and saying, you're our reason for doing this, God, but the only way we can fill that empty desire is if we achieve what we set out to do, even in a church setting. And, and Jesus is saying the opposite here. You know, it doesn't, when you focus on what you desire, when you lead by what you accomplish, when you lead by what you want to gain, no matter how noble that thing is, you're going to be empty. But when you lead by saying, God, you take over, when you lead by getting down and serving, it not only transforms the empty void within you, but it transforms the people that want to start following you as well. There's, there's this picture that I found a while back, and, it, and it's just a beautiful representation of the difference between being a boss and being a leader. The first picture, this is, is the picture of being a boss. Um, so it's this picture of this guy that is standing behind. He's on top of the mission. He's saying, this is what we're going to accomplish. You all go out and accomplish it. And in the church... We have this tendency to say, this is our mission. This is what we're going to do. When we accomplish that, when we set out to get it right, that's when God is going to bless us. That's the opposite of what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, this is what we're supposed to be doing. This is our mission. And we're all supposed to be working together alongside the mission by serving the people that we're supposed to be out serving. We don't stand behind it and say, we want to accomplish this and we're going to set out to accomplish this. We get into the muck. We get into what we're called to do. We, um, we're starting this food pantry here in the, in the storage room. And we cleared it all out yesterday. And that's probably why it hurts to breathe because it was just so much dust and, and crap inhaled yesterday. And we're starting this food pantry, and I've, I've, it's I ironic, because I've been reading this, this book, um, and called The Emotionally Healthy Leader, and as we're starting this food pantry, it, it made me think about something. Are we trying to do this by becoming a church for the needy, or desiring to become a church of the needy? huge difference. When you're a church for the needy, it's saying, those people need help, here's your help, see you later. When you're a church of the needy, it's, hey, come here, uh, let me eat with you. I have, I have some food, Let, let's eat together. Hey, why don't you come into my house? Hey, why don't you come worship with me? Huge difference. It's, I'm standing above you and giving you, but you know that I'm the hand that's feeding you, versus, hey, I'm right here next to you. Hey, I, Christ pulled me. He served me. He went on that cross for me. The least I can do is come right next to you. 
least I can do is share my home with you. The least I can do is share my food with you. The least I can do is share this space of worship with you. When we're a church of kings and rulers, we look down on the people that we're called to be right next to. And rather than getting into the muck right alongside them, we're satisfied with saying, here's your stipend for the day. It's a huge, huge difference. And I think a lot of the reason why the church as a whole has become this trend of here's your stipend is because we have forgotten the th- what it means for Jesus to lead out of service. Here's the God of the universe, the king, the benefactor, the person who is literally above all else of creation, and yet he becomes creation. He becomes torture. He sits on a cross, not because he needed it for him to get to heaven, but because we couldn't get there ourselves. He came alongside of us. And now so much of the church is spent, well, Christ died for me, I'm living for him, so you're worse than I am because you're not following my morality. You're worse than I am because you know, you're, you're not following the commandments. You're worse than I am because you haven't accepted it. And yet, I think, in a lot of ways, Jesus would be appalled. Because Jesus sat on that cross not as a way of saying I'm above you, but as a way of saying I'm going to become the least, the worst that humanity is, so that the rest of you can be exalted in order to even be able to be in my presence in all of eternity. When we forget that Jesus served us, we forget that we're supposed to be right alongside of people that we're supposed to be serving people, that we're supposed to be the least. And I'm not saying all of this in order to say it's bad to desire to go to a good college, or it's it's bad to save money, or it's it's bad to, you know, to, to desire things, to have goals. The issue is the church... It's filled with people that have a void within them, and we try to fill that with accomplishments. And that's not supposed to be the case. We're supposed to be so filled with the Spirit, so filled with Him who served us, and our desire to serve others, that there's no room for us to desire anything else. There's no empty space within us for us to even try to fill. Our actions in life are just simply what we try to do to survive, not something that we try to accomplish or gain or place ourselves above others. And so this morning, as we look at humble leadership, the question we have to ask ourselves in this is, is there a feeling inside of you that you just can't seem to fill? Is there a feeling inside of you that you just can't buy enough stuff to to fill that hole or you can't succeed in enough stuff to fill that hole or you can't accomplish enough things to fill that hole because if that's the case, then maybe we're serving wrong. Maybe we're living our lives incorrectly. Maybe we're not realizing the way Jesus served us. 
the, um, the church bursts onto the scene after Jesus' death in, in a way that historians can't explain. For all intents and purposes, I mean, there's been hundreds of people rise up and claim to be the Messiah, claim to be God. And every single time that happened, the average lifespan of that new religion that rose up was about 30 years at best. And here we are on year 2000 and, well, year 1900 and, 1990, I guess, depending on how you date that. And the church is still alive. Christianity is still moving. Why is that the case? Because when Jesus died, his apostles didn't say, this is the right way to live. They didn't say, this is the only way to reach God. They said, I'm just as big of a sinner as you are. I'm just as poor and helpless as you are. But my reward isn't here. I closed my Bible, but I wanted to listen to how Jesus closes this. You are those who stood me beside me in my trials. I bestow on you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, Jesus never said, by following me, you're going to gain wealth and achievements in this world. He said, by serving others, by doing as I do, you're eventually going to come into my kingdom. And it's difficult for us to live in that way because, you know, I got to accomplish things so I can put food on my table. I got to accomplish things so people will notice me. That's what the world tells us to do. But Jesus says, live for me, serve me, serve others, and eventually you will be in my kingdom for all of eternity. And that's the way the apostles lived. That's the way the early church thrived and grew because when diseases and sickness ran rampant in the world, the kings and the rich people were the first ones to literally run for the hills. They ran for their houses in the hills, and the Christians were the ones that were down there healing and serving and, and inventing soup kitchens and inventing hospitals when no one else wanted to do it. And yet now we say, Here's a check. Go and do something with it. Here's a gift card to Kroger. Go and help yourself. Instead of saying, hey, I love you. Let me go to Kroger with you. Come, come to my table and eat at my table. Come, come to where I worship and join alongside of me. I hope that this morning we are willingly able to look with inside ourselves and assess is there a hollow feeling there that just can't be filled? Because I would say every single one of us have at least some spot that just can't seem to be filled up. And the only way that will be filled is when we become the least in order to serve others. And by becoming the least, the greatest will become exalted. Christ will be exalted. And we will join with him in his kingdom. And I want to be a church filled with people who are utterly insignificant. Because that's when the name of God, that's when Christ's name is spread throughout the world. Let's close in a word of prayer.
Father God, you served us, and we don't understand why. And even your disciples, hours before you gave your life for them, were arguing over who was going to accomplish the most. I can't imagine what was on your mind during that question, during that conversation. There's probably times when you look down at us and you just chuckle because we find so much significance in what we can gain while you're sitting on your glorious throne thinking about how deeply, how to what lengths you went to serve us because we just can't accomplish enough to get to you. God, remind us that we can't fill that emptiness within us until we fill it with serving you until we fill it with remembering that you served us. God, let freedom become the, the group of believers that just simply want to reach the lost by being with the lost, by being with the broken and downtrodden, by being with the needy. Don't let us be satisfied with saying, giving handouts. But let us, let us see your kingdom by serving those who so desperately need to see your kingdom. God, work within us. Place your spirit within us. And thank you for dying so that that spirit can go to the far reaches of the world. We love you so much, Father. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.